Lord, we know that from your word that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And Father, if we're standing on something that is eternal, enduring, transcends the seasons of life, the human condition, the ups and downs, all of the challenges that we face on our journey through this life, Father, we thank you that you can keep us. You can still our souls. You can deliver us from our fears. You can put strength into our lives. And Father, even as we oversee and look into and discover truths from your word, Lord, may your spirit speak into our lives. I pray, Father, at this moment in our life, wherever condition we're in, whatever situation we're experiencing, that we would take this moment of time to wait upon you that we would hear your voice, that we would walk in your ways and in your purposes. And Lord, we would see that you can keep us, you can protect us, you can provide for us in this moment. And we thank you for that. And now I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, we'd hear your voice, we'd hear your word, we'd be instructed, we'd be inspired, we'd be in challenge. Lord, we would leave with a deeper understanding and conviction And Lord, moving from understanding to application, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, last week I started a two-part sermon. First part was praying. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. Today I want to talk about a sermon. I've I've preached over a thousand sermons and I've never preached on fasting. As a matter of fact, fasting is such a popular subject that I was reading a book the other day and they said there were no books published on fasting between the years 1861 and 1954, almost 100 years. So we can already tell that this is not a popular topic. You know, some of you probably thought, if I knew you were going to talk about fasting, I wouldn't be here today, Pastor. Because I believe that fasting is a much maligned and mo- very misunderstood element in the Christian life. And yet we read in the Bible that Moses, who God used in a very significant way, fasted for 40 days. Elijah fasted. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself fasted when he began his earthly ministry. And Luke tells us what happened at that experience and the outcome of that experience because I believe that many times while we are fasting, we may not see a lot happening until afterwards as a result of. And so in Luke chapter 4, it says, when Jesus, who had been baptized and was now full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Matthew says to be tempted by the devil. Actually, it was a time of testing. So before he could enter his ministry, there was a filling of the Spirit, then there was a time of testing. How many here go, I really like testings, Pastor? I'm like James, I count it all joy. No, we usually groan and moan, right? But Jesus went into the, the wilderness, and the Bible says where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, I'm going to share a thought with you that a lot of times when we miss a meal or two, we think we're hungry. No, we're just addicted to food. I hate to tell us that. True hunger doesn't start for quite a while afterwards. Okay, we, we actually, I'm going to share a thought with you. We, a lot of times we medicate ourselves with food. 
We don't think this way, but it's true. It's a comforting element. And, and you know, I enjoy eating. I'm going to be honest. Fasting is not my favorite spiritual discipline, but I have practiced it in my life, and there are some amazing benefits. It says here he ate nothing for 40 days. Some of you say that's not possible to have no food for 40 days, and the answer is, of course it is possible. Some of us have fasted 40 days, and so we know that it's possible. That's an amazing thought. Now, I'm not going to suggest that all of us now leave here, we're going to do a 40-day fast. That's not what I'm preaching about. But what I am trying to say is that fasting has to do with the abstaining from eating, from food. Jesus returned to Galilee, it says, after this time, in the power of the Spirit. And that's an interesting nuance. Jesus entered the wilderness full of the Spirit, but when he left the wilderness, he had the power of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if there's a difference between being full and having an empowerment, but there was something that transpired in that experience that changed Jesus' life. Interesting. You say, how could Jesus' life be changed? He was perfect. I believe that Jesus' life was changing. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us when he was a child, he grew, it says, in wisdom and stature. He grew in certain areas, not just physically, but I believe he developed as a human being, just like you and I are on a journey of growth and development. Do you realize that fasting has not only been practiced by Christians, but other world religions? Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, says this, fasting, of course, is not an exclusively Christian discipline. All the major religions of the world recognize its merits. Zoroaster practiced fasting, as did Confucius and the yogis of India. As a matter of fact, Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle all fasted. These guys are Greek philosophers. Uh, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, believed in fasting. He actually saw some of the benefits, physiological benefits to fasting. This is amazing to us. Actually, you know, we need to give our bodies rest. And that's why, you know, we have the first meal called what? Breakfast, because you're breaking your fast. Your body is resting, and we need to do that. And actually, you know, why do we have to go on diets? because we've been overeating. I hate to say this, but it's the truth. And so, you know, if we would develop a more moderate lifestyle and we would develop a pattern lifestyle and sometimes introduce fasting into our lifestyle, our bodies would actually get healthier. No amens here. Boy, it's getting, this is really, you know, one of those sermons I knew was going to be a tough sermon to preach, but I'm just going to keep preaching it. And I'm hoping by the end you're going to walk away going, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, as a matter of fact, you know, the fact that all of these persons in and out of scriptures held fasting in high regard does not make it right or even desirable, but it should make us take pause long enough to be willing to reevaluate the popular assumption of our day concerning the discipline of fasting. Throughout scripture, fasting is referred to as abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. That's a good definition. You may want to jot that down. Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, fasting itself actually never stands alone. That's very important. I want you to see that. You don't just see fasting by itself in the Bible. That's not what we're zeroing in on. It's always fasting in the context of prayer. So actually, fasting is an aid to praying. So when you think of fasting, I want you to think of 
prayer and fasting. And notice, now we have three nights coming up. What do we call it? Prayer and fasting. Because we don't just say fast for three days. I mean, you can all stay home and fast. No, we're talking about gathering together to pray and to fast. We're doing this as a collective body. You know, this is not about losing weight, though you may lose a few pounds. You know, I have fasted before and lost weight. But that's not, that's not the purpose of it. It's not about detoxic, detoxifying our bodies. I mean, how many here you can go to the you know, store and you can buy detoxants, right? And you, you know, kind of do a little mini fast kind of thing and try to detoxify your body. How many notice that sometimes the first day in fasting is the hardest day? Anybody discovered that? Your body feels yucky. It's sludgy. You know, you got a little bit of a headache. You know what that is? That's all of the impurities being released through your body. That's why you got to drink a lot of fluids when you're fasting. You're detoxifying, rather you know it or not. But it's a discipline of our soul that facilitates communion with God. Fasting is an aid to prayer. That's the main point, okay? Fasting, you want to write that down. Fasting is an aid to prayer. Philip Brooks once wrote, do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but for powers equal to your tasks. That's an interesting thought. Because you know, a lot of us, what we, what we try to do is we say, oh, I can't do that. How many here you've actually said to things, I can't do that? Anybody said that? I can't do that. You know, that's actually good. Sometimes God's going to call you to things that you can't do. What happens when God does that? That means what? You're going to have to put confidence in God. You're going to have to trust God. The moment we move in that direction, we have to, we're asking God for tasks that are greater than ourselves. There's a need for a greater power, the power of God's spirit to enable us to do what we could not do apart from God. God wants to do amazing things through people. How many know that David could not have killed a lion and a bear apart from God? How many know that that's the truth? It was the Spirit of God that came on him. And why I'm saying all of this is that God wants to raise up his people to do things that they can't do apart from him. But a lot of times what we do is, well, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I don't sign up for that. That's outside of my sphere. Come on, how many of us, that's the way we think? Rather than saying, God, maybe you're calling me to this. This is way outside of my sphere. That means I'm going to have to trust in you like I never have before in my entire life. How would you like to have to live a life like that? Every time, you just got to keep trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. Last week, I said, you know, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We really don't want to pray that prayer. You know, why? Because we want to make sure we have a whole bunch of resources on hand so we don't even have to trust God. Come on now, right? I'm, I'm suggesting that the Christian life is designed as a life of daily trust in God. And that God many times will push us so that we actually have a need for him in our lives. You know, E. Stanley Jones challenges with these words. We need big and demanding tasks in order to grow. And how many know the Christian life is really a life designed by God to make us grow up? Like, you know, think about it physically. When you're born into this world, how many know it's probably not a good thing if you stop growing after a week? Anybody think that it's pretty important you grow you keep growing, you keep developing. How many think it's important to keep growing and developing? You know, how many think it's important to keep growing and developing even when you're an adult? 
And I'm not talking about physically now. I'm talking about growing, maturity. You're becoming emotionally more mature. You're becoming relationally stronger. Your, your mind is active. You're developing. You're developing. You're developing. We should be growing and developing until the day we die. And that's true in our spiritual lives. God has this design for us to grow. And so what forces us to grow are having experiences and challenges and tasks in our life that are forcing us to grow. How many here said, if I didn't have this task in my life, I wouldn't have grown as much as I've grown? Come on now. How many, that's the truth. How many of you, you know, you know you've had these uncomfortable moments when you had to stretch in order to grow? We, we talk about it, getting out of the comfort zone, all of these expressions. You know, the Christian life, in the Christian life, God allows challenges in order for us to rely upon him and not ourselves. So maybe you're faced with tremendous challenges today, and I'm saying, good! You're going, well, that's not very sympathetic, Pastor. Well, I'm saying it's good for you because God's allowed that challenge into your life it wouldn't have come there unless God allowed it and number two God's allowed it for the purpose of you developing and growing as a person yes I think that's awesome but one of the ways that you and I are going to connect more deeply with God is through moments of prayer and fasting and that's what I want to focus in on today there are always two extremes when it comes to any spiritual discipline and the first one is simply practicing them in order to merit something from God. Now, we need to realize that all that you and I receive from God is a gift, okay? It is unmerited. It's called grace. How many say thank you? It's a gift, okay? Now, the other extreme is to neglect the spiritual disciplines entirely, believing that this is a form of works righteousness. In other words, I'm rejecting the idea that I can attain anything by what I do. Now, what the Bible actually teaches us is that though we don't earn anything with God, however, we must make effort in various areas in our lives. And I'll get to a scripture that supports that idea in a little later. One of the deep concerns surrounding the spiritual disciplines is that these activities form this work righteousness pattern. In other words, if I, if I do all the right things, God's going to you know, be more indebted to me. You know, I'm, I'm going to get what I want from God, okay? It doesn't work that way. That's why people get mad at God. Hey, God, didn't I do this for you, this for you, this for you, then God, and then we, are, then we think God owes us. And how many here, we have, we have that kind of mentality with God and we have it with people. Hey, I've done this for you, this with you. How come you're not doing anything for me? That just shows you that our motivations are wrong, right? I'm doing it for, I'm doing this for, why are you doing it? We should be doing things to bring glory to God. We have to work on our motivation, right? Here's another thought. I'm more spiritual if I do these activities than if I don't do these activities. But you know, that becomes, we become little Pharisees running around here, you know? And I think that's a danger. We develop this legalistic concept towards Christianity. And I think everybody hates legalism. At least I hope you do. Yet the purpose of the disciplines are not ends in themselves, but rather a means to experiencing the presence of God. And if that occurs, I believe humility is the end result. It's not something I'm achieving. Actually, fasting is described as afflicting the soul or humbling ourselves before God. How many think that's probably a good thing that we humble ourselves before God? Do you know the real danger is that we neglect 
this idea of actually disciplining ourselves. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the latter part of the verse says, train yourselves to be godly. Or another translation says, discipline yourselves to be godly. How many have actually read that verse and it really stood out to you? That you and I are responsible to train ourselves to be godly. Anybody know that? How many know that? Raise your hand. You know that. That's your job. You've got to train yourself. Interesting, huh? Discipline yourself. Okay. But you know, a lot of people don't live a very disciplined life. How many think that's probably true? It's very undisciplined. As a matter of fact, I remember years ago reading a book by Dr. Raymond Erdman. He was a past president of Wheaton College, and he wrote, and he was, he, he lived, he, he, he was the president here between 1940 and 1965, so the book I read is published in 1948, so that's a totally different generation. And why I say all of that, listen to what he writes. He says, ours is an undisciplined age. 1950s. The old disciplines are breaking down and the foundations of society appear to be crumbling. Above all, the discipline of divine grace is derided as legalism or is entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. Boy, we haven't really improved a lot, have we? If these words ring true then, are they true today? A proper understanding of the relationship about these disciplines, I'm talking about fasting, and grace, actually, I bring, bring freedom in our life. Do you know discipline brings freedom? You say, how do you know that? Let's say I want to play the piano. How many know that if I really want to be free to play the piano, I have to discipline myself in order to learn the piano? And the more disciplined I am, the greater the freedom I have in playing the piano. It's the same thing as an athlete. I have to discipline my body in order to be free to do some things with my body. It's all about discipline. We don't want to hear that, but it is the truth. You know, I discovered one thing in my own personal life, that the, the more I practice the disciplines, the more I want to, and the less I practice them, the less I want to. How many have kind of discovered that? It's like exercise. The less you do it, the less you want to, Right? You know, and then, you, and then you, of course, if you do it, then your body goes, I want to keep doing this because your body gets used to that, right? And good things happen. You know, it's the same thing about, you know, like the life of ministry. It's very demanding. You can get weary, tired, you can get discouraged. I find that in my personal life, if I allow the demands of ministry, it can actually rob me of my delighting in God. I just, you know... I have to start with delighting in God, and that's where ministry should flow from. This not only applies to ministry, this applies in my personal life to my family. I have to, you know, do the same thing. My strength, wisdom, and creativity actually comes from spending time with God. And so if I don't do that, then I don't have anything to offer. And that's true in all of our lives. We have to spend time with God. We have to have renewing with God. We have to, you know, discipline our lives to spend time with him, and it's worth it. And so I want to just take a look at two elements regarding uh, the nature of fasting today. And the first of all is, the first one is simply, what is the purpose of fasting? Okay? Why do we abstain from food? What is the reason for it? Well, I think ultimately it's to bring glory to God like everything else in our life. In everything that I do, whether I eat or I don't eat, do it all to the glory of God, right? Zechariah actually challenged the people in his day because they did fast, the Jewish people. It says, when you fasted, did you at all fast unto me, even to me? In other words, God says, you're, you're fasting, but you've got the wrong motivation. You're not doing it for the right reasons. 
physical benefits, success in prayer, the endure, and being endued with power, spiritual insight, these must never replace at the center of why we are fasting. In other words, I'm doing it for the benefits of it. Or I'm doing it because if I fast and pray, I'm going to see these results. Actually, John Wesley says it beautifully. He says, first let it, fasting, be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. So the first thing about fasting I need to know is, Lord, I'm doing it for you. And here's what I've learned about fasting. And if you don't help me do this, I'm going to flunk. That's been my experience. You've got to help me fast because I don't really like fasting. Anybody else feel like I do? You don't really enjoy fasting. Maybe some of you like it, but I don't. So I have to ask God for help. I always say, Lord, if, if I'm going to succeed at this, you better help me because I'm not really good at this. I need your Holy Spirit to help me fast. So I pray that prayer. Can you please help me? And you know, God, if you're sincere about that prayer, God will answer that prayer. So let me give you uh, a number of reasons why we should fast. And I'm taking them from uh, Donald Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines, and I've kind of added some thoughts to it. But let me give you a list of them. One, first reason is to strengthen prayer. Remember I said fasting is an aid to prayer. Okay, remember the story. Jesus comes down the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples are trying to cast out a demon, demonized little boy who the father says at times is demon convulses him and throws him into the fire to destroy him. And the disciples are praying like crazy and they just can't do anything with this kid. I mean, he's still demonized. Jesus comes along and he delivers the boy. And the disciples now, because they're the followers of Jesus, trying to learn what Jesus is doing, they're going, Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? How come you did it and we couldn't? Some of you in this room are saying, yeah, but he's God. No, but see, Jesus was limiting himself on earth and what he was doing, he was showing us that we could do most of the time, okay? So he, you know, he did commission us you know, that we have the authority to cast out demons. I don't know if you know that, but we have authority over the powers of darkness. So they said, well, why can't we do it? And so Jesus answers them in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, and he says this, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, in some other manuscripts, they add, and fasting. And fasting is just an aid to what? Prayer. And so what Jesus is saying is, this kind takes concerted prayer. This, this isn't just saying a word and boom, it's all done, said and done. There, there's a battle going on here, and you need this more intense praying, and you need this, in some manuscript, this aid to prayer called fasting. All right, to seek God's guidance, reason number two, okay? To seek God's guidance. You know, Daniel was praying and fasting when, when, when he, you know, Daniel would get visions from God. Isn't that awesome? But how many know it's one thing to get a vision, another thing to understand the vision? Anybody ever get a vision, then you go, okay, now what does this mean? Right? That's a whole new ball game. So Daniel's going, well, this is great, God, but I don't have a clue what it means. And so we read in Daniel chapter 10, in the third year Cyrus, king of Persia, revelation was given to Daniel, who was formerly called, well, it was called Belshazzar. That was his Babylonian name. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks. In other words, Daniel didn't stop 
eating entirely, but he began to obviously cut some things out of his diet, okay? So I would say this was a partial fast. So some of you that are saying to me, Pastor, I cannot fast because I'm on certain medications. I go, but you could partially fast. You probably could cut some things out of your diet. In other words, God helped me to figure out what I can cut out. Daniel just cut out a lot of the richer foods in his diet and just stuck to some very plain, basic things. Matter of fact, John Wesley, who fasted twice a week, many times he would eat bread and drink water and he'd call that a fast, okay? So how many are already catching on? This is not legalism. This is more of, okay, God, I want to kind of get into this moment where I want to connect with you and I want to make fasting an aid to my praying. And then it says in verse 12, then he continued, the, the angel now, an angel finally appears to him and says, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself. I put in brackets, here fasting is called humbling yourself. There's another scripture that says fasting is afflicting our soul. It's humbling us before God. It says, before your God, your words were heard and have come in response to them. In other words, Daniel, in the fact that he was sincerely desirous to know what God had revealed to him and understand its meaning, began fasting and praying. How many think that's probably a good thing? You know, there's times in our lives where we're going, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't know what to do in this situation. Maybe you need to take a moment in your life and get serious about fasting and praying. Do you know as a young pastor, before as a pastor, I was a young person. I was attending church. I'm in my early 20s. I'm saying, God, what do you want to do with my life? And I went away for five days, and when I went away, God spoke to me in my inner being and said, I want you to fast and pray. And I spent five days fasting and praying. And I can honestly say, God didn't tell me in those five days this is exactly what you're going to be doing. I didn't get the answer in those five days, okay? Does everybody follow this? But within six months, the place where I was working burnt to the ground. Maybe I'm a slow learner. <laughs> Maybe my hearing wasn't that good, but God was obviously relocating me away from that vocation. And I'm serious. I mean, from that point on, God began to direct me in, in amazing ways. And within... Six months of praying and fasting, I was kneeling down in a Bible school chapel knowing God had called me to be a pastor. Wow. How many think that's pretty impressive? Now, I didn't know it at the time when I was doing it, but six months later, I knew it. And I, and I attribute looking back to those five days of quietly in a mountains, in solitude, praying and fasting and crying out to God, reading my Bible, and God not telling me anything, but was working on my soul, which is a good thing. Okay. To seek deliverance or protection. Um, how many know we need to have deliverance and protection in our lives? Well, listen to what it says, Ezra, his experience. He says, we were by the Ahava Canal. I proclaimed a fast. He's the leader, the religious leader. He goes, I'm going to proclaim a fast, which brought everybody into it all of the people collectively, so that we might humble ourselves before our God. Here's another definition. See, I'm, I'm pointing out this is the right definition of fasting. So we would humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and with all of our possessions. These are now people going to travel from Babylon back to the promised land. 
after the exile. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. In other words, God will take care of us. Now to back that up, God, you better take care of us. right? He humbled himself and started fasting and praying. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Isn't that good? Wow, I like that. But how do we handle the spiritual battles that come against us? You know, I I got really convicted by what I'm going to share with you. Do you know we're in a spiritual warfare right now? And a lot of things are happening to us. And we're being attacked all the time. How many of you actually... Are, you, you, you know this. You're being attacked. Okay. And how do you get attacked? Through the words of other people. Do you know that? Those are many times the fiery darts of the enemy coming at you. They're just coming at you all the time. And how do we normally respond to, you know, these, these actions, these, these difficulties? Well, Don, Donald Whitney says this. Fasting rather than fleshly efforts should be one of our first defenses against persecution from family, schoolmates, neighbors, co-workers because of our faith. Typically, we are tempted to strike back with anger, verbal abuse, counter-accusations, and evil legal actions. What's he saying? He's saying what happens is we're being picked on by people, and what do we tend to do is react in a very carnal, natural, normal way, and we, we want to retaliate in the same fashion, right? Isn't that true? Don't you feel that? At least I do. (laughs) You guys are more spiritual. See, I always tell you, being a pastor is a hard job. God picks the worst people so that we have to go through all these lessons so that we can pass on all the things we're learning, right? But instead of political maneuvering, gossiping, and imitating the worldly tactics of our enemies, we should appeal to God with fastings for protection and deliverance. What do you think of this? Lord, I like this. This is really a good biblical response to what's happening to us. And so we have some person and we're having difficulties and, you know, and they're really, you know, is anybody here having any problems with any person at all? Any, anybody here? Anybody having problems in all of these? How many are almost tempted to say, yeah, I've been, I'm doing, I, I, you know what, this is really speaking to me, Pastor. I, I realize now I'm not responding in the right way. How many are not responding in the right way? I got to change what I'm doing. You know, you should be out here tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, say, Lord, help me. Help me to hear from you. Help me to respond in the right way. Lord, you are my deliverer. You are my refuge. You are my source. Amen? Awesome. Boy, I can hardly wait to see what you're going to do in this situation, God. Woo! Right? I tell you, if we get serious about this, we're going to have great victories in store. We're going to be able to tell each other great God stories of what he's doing in our lives and in the lives of people around us. To express repentance and turn to God. You know, Jonah called the Ninevites to repent and turn to God. These were these scum of the earth Ninevites. These were the bullies of the land. This was the, Ninevite was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were, if you've ever read about the Assyrians, these guys were the meanest dudes on the block. They were malicious. They were evil. You know why Jonah didn't want to go preach in Nineveh? Because he was afraid that if they repented, God wouldn't destroy them. I've read the book. 
He goes, I don't want to go tell those guys that if they shape up, God will spare them. I want them to fry. That's the truth. I'm giving you the short version. Cole's notes, right? Cliff's notes, whatever notes you want. There you go. It's the abbreviated version of the book of Jonah. Jonah's, and then he, God talks Jonah into going. How many like the way God talked him? He's running away. You know, throw me overboard. Big fish comes along, swallows him up, spits him out. Goes out there, one bleached out prophet. <laughs> Preaching. I mean, you talk about, he did not look like he was, there was no seeker-sensitive message here. He wasn't worried about, he was just telling him, if you guys don't repent, God's going to toast you, and I hope he does. <laughs> I don't know what he said. But he sure got through to them, because it says here in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, they believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And God, God spared them. Wow. You know, I was just kind of thinking here of uh, Ahab. Remember King Ahab? He was one of the most ungodly kings that ever lived. And Elijah came along and says, this is what I'm going to do to you, Ahab. And this is what happened. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He laid in sackcloth and went around meekly. What a great response. This wicked king responded to the word of the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite and he says, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the day of his son. In other words, even though God judged Ahab, he didn't judge him the way he would have, but Ahab was spared a lot of grief because he humbled himself. And how did he do that? By by fasting and walking meekly before God. Wow. You know, to fasting is, well, a form of humbling ourselves. When I wept and fasted, I, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, uh, people make sport of me. To express concern for the work of God. You know, I love this story of Nehemiah. I have such a, an affinity with the book of Nehemiah. I'm teaching it right now in our church. You know, it says, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He was grieving. Nehemiah was grieving over the condition of the people of God. You know, I'm going to tell you a little story. When, I, when our church here in its history, you know, Patty and I left, and then we were gone for a while, and then I, came, I actually came back and ministered for two Sundays after the church had divided. And when I got here, I, had, I call it my Nehemiah experience. When I saw the grief and the pain and the hurt and the heartache and the weeping and all the rest of it, I actually grieved at a level I've never experienced in my entire life. I've lost my father, I've lost my mother, I've had, you know, I've experienced, you know, losses, personal losses, but I was in such a state of grief that I had, you know, when you're really grieving, you'll lose your appetite. How many know that's true? That's a deep state of grief, and I started praying, and I was literally one morning before I preached here, I was in the office where you are, George, and I was on the floor sobbing and groaning. I couldn't even articulate words. That's grief, you know? 
That's what we're talking about here. You know, when you have that kind of praying going on, what do you think God's doing? I think he's listening. I think he's listening to that. God had put such a burden on my heart for our church family. It's amazing. You know, and when I came back, I said to Patty, I've never done this before. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do to try to repair brokenness. And so because I didn't know what to do, I just started calling the church to prayer and fasting. That's how we entered into this mode. And, you know, our church didn't realize this, but God had put it on my heart to fast for 40 days. And I called our church to prayer and fasting for a week. Some of you know the story. You came, remember, the first week. I said, hey, this is good. We'll do it week number two. I just kept extending it. We did it for six weeks. And we were here Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday night, Sunday. Wow. Had Friday off. That was it. Fasting, praying, crying out to God. You know what, you know what happened to the church? It began to heal. People began to repent. People began to confess their sins. We began a process of restoration with the, with the group that had, you know, left. God did a miracle in our church, folks, because we began to cry out to God. We humbled ourselves before God, and he heard our cry. That's powerful. We're not fooling around. This isn't a game. In times of crisis, to minister to the needs of others. I love the story of the Jewish people on the verge of extinction. Remember that? And, you know, Mordecai comes to his cousin Esther and says, you know what, the Jews have been destined for extinction. We're going to be wiped out as a race. But you're married to the king of Persia. You're the queen. You've never identified your, your lineage. Now's the reason. I said not to tell him. Now's the reason. Tell him. She goes, I can't go before the king unless I'm summoned. And if I go before the king and I'm not summoned, the sentence is death. He says, listen, Maybe God raised you up for such a time as this. You need to go. She says, well, if I'm going to go, and then she says this, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa, the, that's the city where the palace was, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And we know the beautiful story. She was the vehicle that God used to spare the people. Isn't that amazing? To express love and worship to God in Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, it says they were in the church at Antioch, and while they were worshiping or ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Do you know, if we're ever going to really do anything in our world, we better seek the face of God. You know, you can't, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've talked a lot about in our church about making disciples, impacting our community. Can I just tell you that if you and I are in a, in a dynamic, right relationship to God, we're going to impact people. If we're excited about the things of God, we're going to bubble over. You know, people are going to see the genuine reality of our lives. And you know, if we're not sharing our faith, think about it. What are we talking about? You and I talk about that which is dearest to our heart. Isn't that true? And I'm going to ask a very pointed question to you right now. How passionate are you about your relationship to God? You know, you say, well, it's good, Pastor, but it could be better. You know, I think that's where I'm at. It's good, but it could be better. You know, I've had moments where I've been more passionate. 
I'm being honest. I, I think that, you know, it's pretty hard to sustain fervency at a high level at all time. But you know, I've thought about this. You know, there's a text in the scripture in the book of Isaiah and it describes something. It, you know, there's a cry for the presence of God and he says, oh, that the, you know, God would come down from heaven. And, it's, and then he makes this description. It would be like, you know, um, water being converted into steam, you know, or, you know, the fire burning up the sticks. And I thought about those expressions in Isaiah. And you know what that really expresses? An altered state. Oh, that God would come and alter our state, our current state of being. How many think that would be amazing if God would come along and so inspire and impact and envision and impassion us that you and I would have an altered state of being? I'm, I'm not talking about like we're, we're different people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all of a sudden there is a new fervency and a zeal. You know, we're supposed to be zealous. I don't know if you know that. Biblically, we're supposed to be zealous. And when God, I mean, think about when God is really impacting us at a high level, there's a zeal that comes into our lives. And so we have to evaluate. Sometimes I'm not as close to God because my zeal level is quite low. I'm just pointing it out. If we will humble ourselves as a church, God will hear our cry. And my prayer is that we will have revival. That we will have in an impassioned experience with God. We will be so excited about the things of God. You know, we'll have all these God stories to tell. You'll be running around telling non-believers, you know. When I was going to Bible school, I got so excited about the things of God. I'd go to work, I was on fire. And when you're on fire, people catch fire. You know what I'm saying? How many know what I'm talking about? When you're on fire, people around you catch fire. And I'd come to work and I'd be so enthusiastic I couldn't contain the excitement and I'd start telling them about the Bible you know and um, it created fire and people got saved people got saved people got saved <laughs> hallelujah and you know, one day I was so excited because I'd been sharing with this guy for like two and a half years, so it wasn't an overnight thing. And this guy grew up in a Christian home, and his grandmother was a praying grandmother, and his sister was married to a pastor. And I said to myself, this guy is hooped because God has got his number, and I'm working right next to him. Every single time I went to work, I was his partner. And I was on fire. And how do you think it's happening? Because God was answering other people's prayers, right? And he was catching the fire. And the people in the restaurant were hearing it because we were cooking together and the waitresses were coming in and out and they were hearing it. And when he got saved through a crisis, he, he left that night. I, I, I remember walking into this refrigerator unit, the cooling unit, and he was so broken, he was sobbing, and I said, let, let, he said, you got to do something. I, I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And so here the two cooks are in the refrigerator, <laughs> praying. <laughs> you know, you got to have a little wisdom, right? So I'm praying for him, and as he's driving home, because he had about a 40-minute drive, I lived in Seattle at the time, the whole, all of the stuff that he had learned as a Sunday school kid in church flooded back to him. And he had to pull over the road. He was a huge guy. He's like six, two or three, big guy, muscular guy. He just broke down. He says, I had to pull over. I almost had a car accident. I had to pull over. I was sobbing on the side of the road. I was crying out to God. And he cried out, and God saved him. 
and he phoned the restaurant back because I was closing up that night. I was, you know, sometimes you have two cooks and it was down to one. I was the only one left. And he phoned the restaurant. And he says, I got to talk to Paul. So I get on the phone. He goes, guess what happened? I go, what happened? And he told me that. And I got so excited. I was praising God in the restaurant, you know. Well, if you guys don't get excited about people getting saved, I don't know. <laughs> I was so excited. Hallelujah. And you know what happened after that? This is great. Because one of the waitresses was having, she was new, and she was having all kinds of marriage problems. She goes, I need what you got. She goes, I want you and your wife to come and join my husband and I. And we went over to their house, and Patty was there, and they got saved. They got saved. Hallelujah. Well, I got to stop. We, only, we didn't get through point one, but that's okay. Time ran out. That's my problem. I get excited. Let's stand this morning. How many say this prayer and fasting can do something for us? And you know, if you can only miss a meal, that's fine. Or if you can just have to take some food out of your diet, that's fine. But what's even more important is that you come together. And that we're fasting and praying and we're going to cry out to God and we're going to say, God, we need the fire. God, we need you to come in a supernatural way. We need you to revive our soul so that we are on fire for you. And I'll tell you, if we have a congregation of people on fire for God, look out, Red Deer. Look out, Central Alberta. There's going to be fire spreading. I am serious. Because you know when you have the presence of God with you, people pick up on that. You know, I read years ago, you know, uh, Charles Finney one time. He was a revivalist. And this guy was, you know, holding crusades and there were people praying for him and he was seeking God and he went into a factory one day and he didn't say one single word, but the Spirit of God was with him in such a strong way that people started weeping in the factory under the conviction of sin. Isn't that neat? How many say that's amazing? Isn't that amazing? You see, you know what? A lot of people are going, I've got all kinds of hang-ups and reasons why I don't want to become a Christian. Let me tell you, if the Spirit of God is working in the human heart, their lives will be changed. People will be transformed by the power of the living God. And I have been so struck this week with what we need is a new experience with Almighty God. How many say, I'm ready for a new experience with the Holy Spirit? I am ready for a new experience with the Holy Spirit. I need a new touch from Almighty God. You know, do you know what revival is like? Because I've, I've written on this. This is my dissertation. When revival comes, it will feel like you got saved all over again. Some of you will think, was I ever saved? That's what you will think, because the Spirit of God will come on you in such a profound and powerful way. But before that can happen, my friends, we need to humble ourselves before Almighty God. And praying and fasting is our way of saying, God, I choose to humble myself. Some of you here today, you've got, you've got problems in your life. How many? You've got challenges in your life. God wants to lay before you an amazing task, but it's beyond your ability. That's you today. You've got family troubles, you've got financial troubles, you've got relationship troubles. That's you today. But God is greater than your problem today. 
God is greater than your problem today. God is calling you today to humble yourself and pray. And God says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance, my friend, then I will hear from heaven. And then I will heal their land. How many say we need to see our land healed? We need to see change happen in this land. And you know who the change agents are in this land? It's not the government. The change agents in this land are you and they're me. And when you and I are where we need to be, we will bring about transformation in our land. How many are with me today? You are with me today. You're saying, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, here's the test. We've got three nights to choose from. Maybe you're going to come all three nights. That's great. But you can come one. You can lay aside one meal. You're going to humble yourself. You're going to take this challenge. Say, okay, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to let God's spirit come. And I'm going to get excited. You know, if you're not excited about Christianity, you haven't got the full meal deal. You're only nibbling on a french fry. You need the full meal deal. Because when you've got the full thing, I'll, I'll have a hard time holding you down. That's true. You'll be so excited. You'll be going, Pastor, this is what I want to go do. Great, go do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's lift our hands to heaven. I'm going to pray right now the Spirit of God would come on us. I'm praying the spirit of conviction would come on us. I'm spirit the desire to pursue the face of God would come on us. I'm praying that God by his spirit will help you and I to fast for three days. However you're going to do it. God's going to give you the enablement, the strength, the grace. And he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And for some of you, listen to me carefully. He's going to show you which job to have. You know, some of you say, I wish I had the right spouse. You're single. I'd love to have the right person. I would humble myself. I'd fast and pray. Say, God, give me the right spouse. You guys think that's important? I think it's critical. I think it's critical. Some of you say, well, I've got a spouse. They don't seem to be the right one. Let me tell you something. You start fasting and praying. You'll become the right spouse. You will change. And you know what? Your marriage will change. Your marriage will change. Lord, we cry out to you tonight. We cry out to you this morning. We're crying out to you to hear our cry, Lord. We need to experience you in a measure maybe we never have before, or maybe we have before, but we need it again. I pray for a spiritual renewal to come into this place, oh God. I pray that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face until your spirit comes, oh God, and you bring about transformation in our lives. And Lord, I pray that such a fire would burn within us that our city would be impacted by the reality of the good news of Jesus. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.